Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna-Able, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word care, which is both a noun, the care of, the serious attention or consideration paid to, and a verb, to feel concern or interest or provide for the needs of, or to attach importance to something. My guest for this episode is director and activist, Sean Pierre Regis, who cares very much about a lot of things we are going to discuss like family, ageism, financial insecurity, especially among the elderly, and how you take the nugget of an idea for a documentary and turn it into a movement. I've had the pleasure and joy of knowing Sean Pierre since he founded the online magazine Swagger several years ago. And since then he's contributed to MTV, HLN, and USA Today among others, and is the award-winning director of the beautiful must-see documentary, Duty Free. Welcome Sean Pierre. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's crazy to just uh, to to know you for so long and to reconnect in such a, a new way. I love it. Bienvenue. I do wish we could actually be in the same space at the same time, but through the joy of technology, we can do it this way. So, Shabir, why did you choose the word care? Because, uh, like, you know, this film journey, you know, Duty Free for the last five years, uh, that's what the film was about from start to finish um you know i think as a filmmaker we often think about like why do we why are we compelled to make the work um it takes forever it's impossible some days it feels like anyway and i did it because i care so deeply for my mom to the point of like even saying it makes me want to cry and it was my out of my love for her and to do right by her that I made this film. And so it's like my new journey, kind of saying like, why can't we care a little bit more in our everyday? So that's why I chose it. And when you watch the film, you, I, the viewer, really, we care. It's impossible not to. So we could do the backstory, you know, a little sidebar. You and I were in a dog park having a doggy play date when you told me it was, it had just happened. So you give us the backstory. You're filling me in on what had just happened to your mom. And, and you didn't have a nugget of a film idea yet. No, yeah, I um, at that time in 2016, it must have been. I was on camera at HLN and CNN, and you know, doing reporting around pop culture issues, mostly sometimes social movement issues. And my mom was fired from her job as a hotel housekeeper, and I felt this otherworldly, like, like compelling to leave New York and to be with her because she was, again, she was 75 and she really had nobody else um, who could lift her up financially, emotionally, and otherwise. And so I took a little bit of a risk, but being a storyteller, brought my camera with me and just started filming. That That's really where the story started. And it took, yeah, five years for it to to make it out into the world and what a journey it has been. <laughs> so can you give for the listener just the top line to explain what Duty Free the film is? Sure. So Duty Free follows the story of my mom, who's a single mom, raised two kids in Boston and she was a hotel housekeeper. She worked every day of her life on her knees, up and down stairs, um, and was fired at age 75 for just being too old. And so we went on a bucket list journey to do everything she could never do 
while she was working. Some made up for past regrets, but some were really fun, like uh, joining Instagram, where she now has 50,000 followers. Um, but she cashed out her 401k for me to go to college, and she's finding it incredibly difficult to get back on her feet and find a job. And so the film um, is one that is deeply about love between mom and son and on this bucket list adventure together, but ask the question of what we're going to do with a generation of 25 million Americans who don't have enough money to get them through retirement age. Who will care for them? Who will save them? What was the first thing you did? You had this camera. When did you go, hey, this might be something? Yeah, well, my mom had been calling me. um, So in, in a nutshell, my mom had been a housekeeper for over 40 years, hotel housekeeper at different hotels, but she had been at this one hotel for over a decade. And it was actually the place that I was raised. Um, and she had been calling me saying, like, I feel like something's wrong here and I don't know what's going on. They're not treating me the same. I, like they're taking things away from me, tasks, etc. So I had started to shoot just because I wanted to make sure that if for any reason something went awry, I wanted um, proof, I wanted documentation. So these were these sort of like short, like, tell me what happened today, you know? And then when I was in Paris um, on a little vacation, she called me and left me a voicemail and said she was fired. And it was at that moment that I knew that this was much bigger than just, you know, these little sort of testimonials of my mom, but that this was a much bigger story. And so I started to go down the rabbit hole of like, like, let's hold the man to task. Like, how dare this happen? Um, but at the same time, I thought, well, that's not going to do much good because my mom really needs to be sort of taken out of her misery. She lost everything when she lost her job. Um, she lost her sense of purpose. She lost her sense of self. She lost her family. And so I devised this idea to take her on a bucket list journey to sort of like raise her spirits. And so over the, la- over the years of production, It was sort of balancing the two. One was, you know, dealing with my own anger of somebody who, uh, them firing my mom unfairly at 75 with no sort of work record or anything, but also wanting to like show her that like life is so much bigger than just a job. And, And so we came up with this, she came up with a whole bucket list, list of things that she wanted to do. And then the film process was about, putting those competing thoughts together. How do you take somebody on a bucket list journey, but also have the conversation around, uh, you know, worker rights, employment rights, and invisibility in older age. So what surprised you about making this? Uh, How hard it is to make a film. (laughs) I think that like, you know, a lot of things surprised me, but like for the film process, what surprised me was how much money it takes uh, how much grit and determination it takes, how many no's you'll receive along the way, um, how gatekeepers know what they know and don't know anything new and don't know anything different and are very uh, unwilling to take risks sometimes on on people and on stories. So that's from the film side. But then from the culture side, uh, how pervasive ageism is and in the conversations that we have every day and the jokes that we make in uh, how websites are built and how you know, employers source um, their future employment workforce, like all of that is truly ageist at its core. And um, I learned about what it means to be a caregiver, um, that care oftentimes is not, as we think of it for older people, like, oh, I'm, you know, washing my mom and giving her medication, that sort of care giving um, that we think of 
it's 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 small things, right? It's like being there for your mom when she needs you. It's coming up with a bucket list item. It's calling your mom. It's you know asking her how she feels about her retirement plan. Like that's all like small acts of caregiving that can be really really transformative. I learned all of that because I think in our culture we are not we're taught not to think about older age, right? To avoid it at all costs. We don't we don't talk about our finances, we don't talk about, you know, our bodies sort of breaking down. We don't talk about, we don't talk about anything really as it pertains to older age and we don't value those people. And so basically you get to a, a time in your life and just the day before you felt valuable. And then the day after you no longer feel valuable. And once society turns its back on you, it's very hard to get the spotlight back. It's very hard to be seen and to be heard and to be cared for unless by your community. That's truly what I learned, and it's it's sad and it's hard, but I think the more that we can talk about it, about aging, what it looks like, you know, how to age with dignity and grace and how to give people the care and the respect that they deserve, like, that needs to be done. It needs to be done younger and younger. So as a storyteller and someone coming from media, you were able to push the story out there in really powerful ways, getting on CBS Sunday Morning, getting amazing placement in the New York Times. So can you speak to that? Because it is the power of that movement and, you know, touching hearts and minds, one reader, one viewer at a time. How do you maintain that grit and resilience? How do you keep pushing through the no? How did you even get people to understand your story? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So I, I'm really lucky in that, lucky and not lucky in that this film is a personal film. Meaning, you know, for me, it felt like, like, all the stakes. Stakes were very high. I, like, if this was not successful, then I had, I, this is the pressure I put on myself, that that I had let my mom's story down, that I had not allowed her to be seen in the way that I thought that she should be seen and that this story should be seen. So that is what pushed me every day. And, you know, when you're working out of passion, you're working for somebody you love, like, you will wake up and do the work every day. Um, and so that that was lucky. The unlucky part was just just that, right? Like that, you know, if for some reason something didn't go my way, we didn't get a story placed somewhere or people, you know, the dread that people would not talk about this. I carried that with me, I carried that as that would be failure. And so that's what drove me. Um, and then as a, you know, a former journalist, it's like, I know how the media works. I'm really keyed in on sort of how to make a micro story, a, mic a macro story, right? How do you take this really personal story of a woman who's 75 and is a hotel housekeeper, oftentimes people that nobody sees anyway, right, are behind the curtains. How do you make that a macro story? And so when we initially released the trailer, we had done a Kickstarter and raised $60,000. And that was the first sort of breakout for us, was putting it out there and telling every single person I knew on this earth that I was creating a film and that I would love for them to tell their communities to help me raise the money to do this. That trailer was seen 38 million times on Facebook. We heard people from around the world saying, your mom's story is my story. I feel like I'm not seen in the everyday. You know, I was fired from my job and accused of theft after having worked there for 25 years. And it was just so that they could say that it wasn't an age thing. You know, so when all of these stories started to pour in on social media, I realized I had proof, I had data. I had like, you know, wow, we can connect the dots here. And that's how I use those stories 
to sort of make my mom's story a macro story so that when we came back around three years later or four years later to release the film, lightning struck twice. Um, and we were on CBS Sunday morning, the first go round and the second go round. We were a number one Apple news story uh, for Mother's Day. We were, you know, in, in USA Today and on Tamron Hall. And all of that was to say, listen, the pandemic just happened. We had a spotlight on older people and we cannot lose that spotlight. They are much worse off now. Um, you know, women in particular, we call this a she session after the pandemic. Like my mom had $600 in her bank account. And yes, this happened before the pandemic, but like this is the lived reality of so many people today. How do we talk about that and why and what are the issues? And by tying that all in, it became bait for, um, for press everywhere. And, and thankfully, I mean, a lot of that was like zeitgeist, you know, you can't really, you never know, but I did my best in trying to tie her story into, into the national conversation. So a couple things going on. One, you understood to market your film before the film was done. Yes. Very important. I tell everybody that if you're making a film, you need to create your community from frame one. Oftentimes what filmmakers do is they create their film and their artists and they just have this story that they want to tell. And that's really wonderful. But then you either pass it off to a distributor who doesn't understand your story or the community that it could really hit, or you don't have a community. And so you can't get to a distributor because the distributors want to see you're following. Who's following you? What are they saying? What's the engagement? What does the community look like? Help me do less work as a distributor to bring your film to an audience that you know it can reach. And so I always say, if you can start with frame one, just tell people what your story is, maybe a couple clips. You don't have to give away the story. There's so much extra content when shooting a film. Start it on social, start it in an email newsletter so that you, once you're ready to be at bat, like you can really hit a home run. There was also an important moment when you understood you needed different people to support you. Yes, I am a hustler, as are so many people, particularly in New York, but in cities across the country and in rural towns across the country. Like if you have grit and hustle and a passion, I believe that you can make it. But the you know the biggest lesson that i learned was that you can't do everything what you need to do is hire the best people and you are the director not only the director of the vision but you are the director of the team so build a team where people believe that like they're all in with you you know um and so what i did was i I took on a producer who also was an investor in the film she was amazing she had never created a film before but what I knew was that she would work harder than anybody to make sure that my vision was realized and that the connections that I needed to be made, both on the, um, the fundraising side, but also on, you know, finding other talent, editors, writers, um, that, that she could help me source those, that she would do everything that she could to help me source those. And I knew that if I, had filled, if I could fill the producer role, then we were off and going. And so had the producer right around the Kickstarter. And then she helped us net a lot more money, which helped us continue on with the film. And then through connections, found a DP who was not ever supposed to be shooting on my film, but my initial DP, which is the director of photography, could not make it to one of our shoot days. And so I hired this guy, Joey. And Immediately, I connected with him on just like a soul level. Like, and he said, you know, this, 
what you're doing here like moves me to my core. I would want to be involved in any way, you know? And I thought this guy is just so about it that I need to hire him on as our DP. And then it sort of rolled from there. He had connections for editors. Um, I reached out to a couple people, had extensive interviews, and then just chose the best people. Um, but with that said, Barbara, we had a really, really like bare minimum crew. You know, it was it was me, the director and producer, Meredith, my producer, Joey, our DP, and our editors. Like that was really it. Of course, we had like animators come for a few days. We had, you know, different things that were for a few days at a time, consultants to come in and give us feedback. But that was it. Like we did this on a bare bones team for half the money that a lot of huge or even like sort of the average documentary is, you know, they say it's about seven fifty to a million dollars if you are going to create a documentary that likely will make it to a streamer or to a distributor. And we did it for half that. So one, you started by asking yourself, what do I need? That's really, right. really important question. I want to ask you, what did it teach you about leadership? Gosh, it, it's such a good question because I'm now that we're on the other sort of the other side of it, I'm doing a lot of reflection and like deep internal like thinking, but it taught me as a leader to be good to people, to stay positive because I, the worst thing that could have happened to me and for me as it pertains to this film was some bad karma. Like, I feel like that the reason this film has been so successful is because the key goal was to be good to everybody around me. Like I needed them to hold me up so that I could hold my mom up. And so that was really key. And also to like, just show people the work that you're doing as the leader. You know, I think like it was important to constantly be like, look at what we got, right? We got another, we got another donation for $50,000. Like we're doing this, like to invoke trust from your team, you know, and trust by doing, not trust by sort of like squawking or saying or being proud footed or any of that. It's sort of like trust by doing, because I think A, you're good to people and they trust you. I mean, you, those, you cannot make a better team up from those two sort of, uh, sort of like, key skills, I guess. I guess those would be the two things. And what were some of the milestones for your goalposts when you were like, okay, wow, we got to this point on the horizon and it keeps moving. You got to keep adding to it. But it's like, you know, when were the moments you were like, this is happening. Yeah. And now, and now I, I'm feeling it in my heart. Yeah. I think our first big investment from my producer was big for us because we had runway. And then it was showing different cuts of the film because again a lot of these a lot of your team is they're working in silos when i'm with my dp on set like i'm just with him um and we're shooting but then he's not coming back to the edit bay really you know so it's like working with my editor or with my producers etc to cut down something to 20 minutes which i think you saw you saw our 20 minute cut here in New York. And that was the first time my DP saw it. And so for my whole team to be there, along with my family and friends, along with potential investors or donors, like, and for us to all watch it together and see how far we'd come together, that was a moment. Um, that brought us through the next year when we had another cut 
And then, you know, if we get a grant here or, you know, I get into a media lab, Firelight Media Lab or the Film Independent Doc Lab, like those are all signs for people within your team that say, great, like my work was not, was, wasn't for not, like this is going somewhere. Can you explain why it takes five years? Oh yeah, gosh. Um, it takes five years because money is so hard to come by. And as much as we are artists, like our art isn't free. And um, I was adamant that like, I wasn't going to pay any member of my team half of what their rate was. Like if they worked with me and they had a rate, I was going to meet them at that rate because I wanted them to do the best work. I wanted them to show up and feel like they were seen. So the money, hard to come by. And then just the emotional, for this film in particular, so much of it was therapy for myself. You know, I would sit here and just like write out note cards of what I felt like the film was at that moment. What was I trying to say, you know? And that process can take a really, really long time. You know, you put it out there, you sort of see what it looks like on the screen. It doesn't feel right you go back and say, is that what I'm really searching for? Like, is this film one that's about being angry at, you know, the organization that fired my mom? Or is this film about the the love that we have, the connection that we share, like this journey that we're on together, you know? And then once you have that sort of illuminating moment, you know, you got to get back to the drawing board. And then of course you're missing footage that sort of works with the story that you want to tell. Okay, do you go get that footage? Or do you leave it honest? You know, is it going to be narrated? So many potential directions for a film to go. And you really need to unite what you feel inside with what's working on the screen. Once you have that union, you know, you have a really wonderful film. But it takes time to get there. Because every documentary filmmaker who wins an award and gets an acceptance speech talks about how long it takes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so funny because you watch those, right? And you're like, oh, that's so sweet. And like, you can feel their emotion when they tell you, like, I never thought I would get here. And to have experienced that, it's so true. Because also one little caveat there is what I was saying before, which is there are so many no's along the way. And, you know, this is in any industry, you know, but I think with film and with documentary film, it's like there are only so many ways to be seen, right? You're either at one of the big festivals, Sundance or Tribeca, maybe Doc NYC, but like there are only so many ways that you can be seen and there are only so many slots available. And so people are telling you no, just left and right. And it's up to you to say like, in spite of the no, I'm gonna keep going because I believe so damn much in what I have to say. And so that takes time. It's like, gotta re-strategize. We didn't get into Sundance. We didn't get into Tribeca. We didn't get into Sheffield. We didn't get into Telluride. We didn't get to, we didn't get into many of the places that bless a film. And it was the fire inside of me and waking up seeing my mom every day and knowing that I did this for her, that made me say, in spite of all the no's, I'm going to show you yes. I'm going to show you yes. And not everybody is built that way, but it feels so good on the other end to have proven so many people wrong. 
So how did you get to IFC and now, yeah, PBS, correct? Yeah. So um, Doc, we were a top grossing ticket at Doc NYC, really blew the the doors off of Doc NYC um, here in, in New York. Um, you know, most talked about on social media, just like continuing to prove that this film had legs and Doc NYC is owned by IFC. And so frankly, they saw it was in their best interest to have us at the IFC because they knew that they could make some money, right? This was coming out of the pandemic. Very few films were going to drive audiences into theaters. And so we had top billing, top billing at IFC uh, for two or three weeks. And it was a hit, you know, like it was a hit. Um, So we were there and in 30 theaters across the country, got some remarkable press from The Hollywood Reporter, you know, which called this a lovely tribute to a son to his mother. Some other, the Movable Fest called it a labor of love, um, where love and labor both carry plenty of weight. Um, Just like really beautiful reviews. I can attest, it is such a feel-good movie. I mean, it's emotional. I cry every time I watch it, but I mean... You feel so good. Yeah, you leave feeling really hopeful because I really want people to know that, like, yes, yeah, yeah, sad things happen. Sad things happen in life, but it's about how you deal with them. And for us, we chose joy. Um, and uh, that really comes out through this film. And we just announced that it'll be broadcast on Independent Lens on November 22nd on PBS, which is, yes, the award-winning um, documentary strand. So, Wow. It just feels really, really good to be here. And now we're working out international rights. So it'll soon be available internationally as well. More on that very soon. So let's talk about the star of the film. Yes, the Brubrax. Yes. So your mom, Rebecca, who is a force of nature and actually an incredible joy on social media, I have to say. (laughs) All caps. But how is she doing? Because this is an extraordinary transformational journey. Yeah. She's great. So my mom moved in with me. So long story short, uh, my mom was evicted from her apartment. That's part of the film. But then she ends up moving in with me and my partner here in New York. And so we live this really wonderful and interesting uh, intergenerational, multi-generational household um, where, you know, caring happens in the everyday. And she's awesome. So my mom has now obviously taken to social media where she has 50,000 followers on Instagram and a whole lot of Facebook fans and all of that. And so she, you can find her any day, tap, tap, tapping away at her phone, (laughs) responding to people. Um, She comes up with great ideas for what she wants to post and how she wants to post things that I'm like, oh, mom, I don't think that's going to do well. And then she posts it. It's like explosive. So she's like, she's amazing. And all she says is like, marketing, 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 anywhere we go in New York City, she's telling people like I could we could be at the grocery store with a bagger. And she's like, did you know I'm a star of a film? It's called Duty Free on PBS, November 22nd. And I'm like, Mom, why are you telling? And she just says marketing, marketing, marketing. So she's just like, (laughs) she is a force of nature to be 80 years old now. And to be thinking about so savvy about social media, and you know, how she needs to present herself and this film and you know, it's, it's, it's phenomenal to watch. It's really, really phenomenal to watch. And it speaks to the issues that we're trying to talk about in the themes, which are like, as much as we say old people, you know, are not malleable and not curious and not interesting, my mom is proof that they are all of those things, that transferable skills are beyond with this generation. And uh, most particularly, like, they are bright and 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 curious and strong and the emotional quotient that you you see from an older person 
It will blow you away, their interests, the questions they ask. And that is all the reasons for her success. She cares about every single follower of hers, every single person that writes to her, she will write back. And, you know, that's a key. That's like major, major key. What has been the political or social impact of this film so far, if any, like anyone reach out to you or have you joined forces with any organizations, any legislation? Yes. So we have, there are three issues that this film brings up for us that we will talk about at every turn. That's economic insecurity. It's age and ageism and it's care. And so on the economic insecurity portion We've been doing lots of screenings uh, around this film. We've partnered with the National Council on Aging to make sure that people know, you know, where they can find help if they're economically insecure in older age. You can go to benefitscheckup.org, for example, to check on the benefits available in your area. These are free governmental benefits so that you can, and supplemental benefits, so that you can, you know, find groceries and pay for them, that you can get help paying for your rent. All of these things that a lot of older people are struggling with, particularly post-pandemic, we're bringing the film to these communities and tying them in with resources. As it pertains to age and ageism, we've shown this film at uh, for AARP's private membership. Um, you know, they have millions of members. It was the number two most watched private screening of a film in AARP history. And that's because a lot of people see themselves in my mom's position, as I said earlier, but have have been the victims of ageism. You know, it's like some over 50% of older people will say that they have felt like they have been the victims of ageism on the job alone. And so we are showing it to those communities. We are trying to work with HR organizations to um, put a last page in the handbook. My mom always talks about she didn't know what to do on her last day of work when she was fired. They always tell you what happens on your first day, that you have this insurance, that you have you know this 401k plan, that you're signed up for this and that and that, but what happens on your last day? And when older people are fired from jobs that they're working at forever for no cause, they don't know where to go. And it is, it is up to the employer to give them the resources um, to find another job should they want that. And so we're working with HR organizations for pilot programs, which we'll call bucket list organizations that are age-friendly and age-inclusive. And then the final thing is care. Um, And along care, uh, we are trying to show this film on Capitol Hill. So we've had a couple conversations with various, with a couple senators who want to show the film um, around care. As you know, um, or may not know, Biden's plan, there's an infrastructure plan uh, where care is infrastructure, right? Like how do we get caretakers like myself who are working on behalf of their family members in the home how, how are they not paid for that? You know, like, how do they not get uh, a stipend for doing that work? And, uh, and so we're sort of working ourselves in using this film as a representation of what care can look like and why we need it. So yes, we have a huge impact campaign. All of these things are happening sort of now and will happen along our PBS broadcast in November. Mm, that's fantastic. I actually want to take a moment too. speaking of care for your partner, Sam. Yes. You had a beautiful post when Sam expressed care for you. Would you repeat that here? It really touched me. I I took a screen grab of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have a partner that I've been with for almost four years now. And when my mom had to move in with us um, or move into my apartment, I had had uh, roommates at the time. And uh, I was sort of struggling. Like, how was I going to make this work? I I had to kick my roommates out so my mom could be here the money didn't add up. I still needed cash. 
And we were only dating not too long, maybe a year and a half, two years at the point. And he had said to me, well, if I moved in, would that make things easier on you? Um, and it was at that moment that I knew how special he was and how strong and how long our relationship would last. Because for somebody to show that sort of active care, um, for somebody that they don't really know, I mean, his mom, my mom, um, it was really beautiful moment and uh, really changed the trajectory uh, of our lives. And, and so, yeah, wrote a story about it. <laughs> And so what's it like? I feel like it's a sitcom. Yeah, it is. Oh my God, that's our next thing. And which, by the way, we should just briefly, it's like, when I think about the documentary, oftentimes I tell documentary filmmakers, like, we think that like, we want to make this film and then be done with it. And some people do. But once you sell it to a distributor, you know, you're often selling it for all rights. All the rights are out of your hands. But since my mom moved in, it's like, there's so much more that we can do with the intellectual property of this film, right? Like we live together. It's like, it's like Will and Grace meets Modern Family, you know, or like Three's Company, you know, it's like, it's so good. And so I've been, you know, thinking about like, how can we test out maybe a little short, you know, some sort of like sitcom short. And so working with some writers to try and see what that could look like, because I think that really could be the future, right? Like that could, I can see this on TV already. Um, and it's been amazing. Uh, it can be hard because... You know, we're living with a year woman who has like, you know, different interests and, uh, you know, is always cleaning hyper, hyper cleaner in the house. So we're sort of like working around that. But like to wake up every day, our bed is made, our laundry is made. She is like the funniest woman around. Like it gets easier in the aggregate. Like when you're like, wow, at the end of the day, we live with our family in New York City. Like how lucky we are to be, you know, in our 30s and feeling like we have a home here. It's not like a temporary home. Like it feels like a permanent home. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. And I don't think he would either. We're so lucky to have you. So let me know and the listeners where we can find you, yeah. where we can find the film and where we can find Rebecca. Ah, yeah. So Re finding Rebecca is um, the most important. And she's at Rebrexit, R-E-B-R-E-X-I-T, because she's British, Rebrexit on Instagram. Um, and then for me, you can go to the, check out the film, www.dutyfreefilm.com. That's where you can get all information on the film itself. Um, you can watch the trailer. Uh, you can learn more about our impact campaigns. Um, you can join our newsletter. And then if you're on social media and you want to follow us, we plebeians who are not verified like my mom, um, you can find us at Duty Free Film all written out. Um, and then Sean Pierre, mine is spelled S-I-A-N-P-I-E-R-R-E, -R -R -E, Sean Pierre on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I, I'm a lifelong fan. And thank you. And I'll, I'll just say when I was coming to you for talent training back in my broadcast days, you know, I was giving you Ryan Seacrest, even though I wasn't Ryan Seacrest. And you said to me, like, it is so important for you to drop that. Like, you need to be yourself. Like, who are you? I, I, you really broke me out of my shell when I needed to be broken out of my shell. And so I really appreciate you. And I, I will always be thankful for, for your advice and your help. Oh, kisses to you, Jean-Pierre. So as a reminder to everyone, please do go watch Duty Free, the film, at dutyfreefilm.com immediately. 
And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. Your support and feedback always means the world to me. If you'd like more information on private coaching workshops for your organization or small group classes, please shoot me an email via my website, ableintermedia.com. And please be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you.